You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Because the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro is 100% waterproof from top to bottom. They're great for crossing creeks and walking through wet grass. They come in a variety of camel options from mossy oak to real tree, gore optifade, true timber, and are insulated from not insulated to 1600 grams of thinsulate ultra insulation lacrosse boots done right since 1897 welcome to the diy sportsman podcast with your hosts garrett prawl and boudreau boswell All right, before we kick off this week's episode with Aaron Lasko from EZV, we are going to announce the winner of the Arrow Hunter Saddle. So basically what we did is we took all of the entries that we had from Instagram, we took all the entries that we had from Facebook, we combined them into a big list and assigned everybody a number. So basically the guys that entered on both Facebook and Instagram basically got their name in there twice. And what we did is we went to a random number generator on Google and we you know, had that kick out a number, basically whoever the corresponding number was, that's the winner. So the winner of the saddle giveaway is Zach Stokes. So Zach, we are going to get in touch with you and basically ask you what you want for options on that saddle and make sure to get that sent out to you. And of course, we want to thank everybody else who entered. Most likely in some point in the future, we're going to do something similar. So like I mentioned earlier, we are going to be talking with Aaron Lasco this week from EZV. EZV is a site company and for their site, unlike a standard pin site, the EZV offers range finding capabilities, but it doesn't use any electronics to do so. Instead, the site has a simple, robust construction that uses stadiometric ranging concepts that have actually been used in various forms throughout recent history, but to my knowledge, this is the first time it's really been adapted to an archery site. The site has been heavily marketed as a bow hunting site, claiming to open up the site picture, help in low light reduce anxiety or target panic, and of course allow you to hold on target without a rangefinder by framing the vitals of the animal in the V of the site. If you've never seen an EZV site and you're listening to the podcast on an app, go ahead and Google a picture of what the site looks like. It'll make the rest of the discussion make a whole lot more sense. 
Now, Bobby and I had both heard of the site before. I'll be honest, at first glance, I wasn't ready to give up my multi-pin site, and I'm pretty sure Bobby had his skepticisms after seeing the booth at the ATA. Then Troy Fowler, who happens to be a really big fan of the site for bow hunting, sent me one to play around with. So I've been trying to keep an open mind and have been practicing a lot with it at the range. Bobby hasn't tested one at all, so we both had our own sets of questions along with other unanswered questions that we've seen floating around on forums or comments and try to leave no stone unturned for our discussion. So with that, let's jump right into the discussion with Aaron. Hey guys, how are you tonight? Good. Great, great. So Garrett and... Bobby. Bobby. Aaron, nice to meet you, bud. Nice to meet you. Sounds great. So you guys heard of me through the ranch ferry? Crazy Troy introduced you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we had Troy on the podcast a few episodes ago uh, to talk yep. about terminal arrow performance. And I had heard of the EZV site before, you know, kind of vaguely familiar with it, but I hadn't really looked that closely into it or the technology. Uh, and he was kind of the guy who, you know, really pushed me to, to take a closer look at it. You bet. So you got to shoot it a little bit, I hear. He sent you one of our old ones? Yeah, so I got, I guess, one of the original models, which I, from what it sounds like, it's pretty much the same, you know, conceptually. It's got the same inserts and whatnot, but, it, you know, the, the housing is a little bit different than what people would expect to get now. Yeah, well, so when I built it, I built it to be bomb-proof. I wasn't looking for aesthetics so much, and I wanted some simplicity and a little bit of common sense, which is hard to find in a lot of things that are built. So the one that you have is built like a tank, and uh, 8.9 ounces wasn't too awful bad for the market, but everything is exactly the same. Our tooling's exactly the same, but we now drill a bunch of cool holes in it we make it sexy we make it lighter it's 6.2 ounces now haven't lost any durability or strength issues but um the only real um aesthetic change is we flip the scope around and the level bubble is now in the front but if you got one from troy it probably didn't even have a bubble in it because he doesn't believe in bubbles so. <laughs> <laughs> i actually ordered one off of amazon and i was gonna glue it in okay cool yeah we can hook you up with that too but uh for the most part, it's the same site. It's in its fourth revision, just making it cooler and sexier. Really, it's been more for aesthetics, uh, souping it up. So when did you, I mean, I guess the concept behind the, the V style of site has been around for a while, but it's never really been adapted to archery. I guess give us a little bit of a you know design history about how this all kind of came about. I would, I would love to. And uh, so... I didn't know that the V had ever been done in, uh, in, in its military use whatsoever, but it really, I mean, and I never thought it would build a product for market. I was an automotive engineer in Detroit, so I got, I'm a math geek by trade. I left that and ran an archery shop very successfully for almost 20 years, and I've used it all and bought it all, every belly and back ranging gizmo that's ever been. We're all just trying to be better. Well, I had an incident uh, where... My dad came from Michigan to Montana, first time ever. Been waiting 20 years to hunt with my teacher of bow hunting. And I wanted to kill an elk with my dad so bad. Um, and this is, this is an emotional story for me, but we got to the last morning. He was 74. He, at the time, he couldn't chase animals like I could so well. So we, we got to the last morning, and a cow stepped out, and it was a second to choose. And I'm a pretty good guesser of distance, but I drew back, I guessed, and I made a perfect, absolute pinwheel shot on this cow. She ran 35 yards, 
she tipped over. It was the best hunting day of my life. Well, I went from absolute euphoric in the clouds, put him on a plane the next day. I may never hunt with him again. He's an old guy, you know, but um, to this nausea came over me that had I wounded that animal, and we've all been there. We've all had to guess. We have range finders. We have technical archery dial-it-up gear, but sometimes when the chance comes about, you draw back and we guess. And if you're honest, if you've been doing it a while, you guessed wrong. Well, I didn't guess wrong that day, but not 24 hours after that shot, my gut just turned into a, a it just was all knotted up. What if I had guessed wrong? And I'll be honest, that was a 59-yard shot, which is not uncommon here in Montana, but it was a good guess. I shot it for 60. But So I got this nausea that had I wounded that animal on the only chance I'll ever hunt with my dad, it could have been the end of my bow hunting, and this will be my 40th year. I mean, it's been my whole life, but I said I was going to fix this. So I started pounding out prototypes. My wife thought I was crazy. It was just for me building this thing in the garage all winter long. It was sub-zero temperatures here in Montana. Luckily, I had Yellowstone Park as an hour's drive from me as a laboratory. I mean, the stars aligned, but so I spent days and days. The the uh, tourists down there didn't know what I'm doing. I got all this measuring equipment on tripods, sneaking up on animals in my snow camo. They thought I was taking pictures, and I took a lot, but grabbing all this data, and I built this thing for me, and then, of course, I built one that didn't look like what you're holding, but <laughs> I built one for Mrs. EZV, my wife. She's a diehard bow hunter. And then I built one for a cop buddy down the road, and then I built one for his buddy. And they all said, look, you, this is, this is, you got to do this. You got to build this. And I mean, <laughs> I didn't have a million dollars to say, let's just bring a product to market. This has been a word of mouth, grassroots growing well. So we, applied for a patent. I mean, I sold a whole bunch of stuff. The patent alone was $30,000 off the gate. I did not plan for this, right? This is, but it's built out of necessity. So five months later, I had something that we were going to build and we released it to the public in May of 2016. And the public went, what? What? You know, that doesn't look like an archery site. And, and ever since, so that whole summer was crazy i mean on archery talk and the public's going if it doesn't have a pin it's not a site which couldn't be the farthest thing from the truth well seven months into this then somebody texts me a picture of stadiometric ranging come to find out that this curved v site has been used and proven by many countries militaries for over 125 years i built it out of nothing i could show you 100 prototypes that are pretty silly but I had no idea. So I reinvented something that's been out there for a hundred and some years, but I, I was the first to apply it, giving it the value of the vitals of an animal and using it in a bow hunting. And it's actually a weapons patent that I've obtained that I can use it for crossbows. And we got some other things that we're working on and stuff. So, so super cool. I mean, I've been teaching bow hunter education for 20 years. I gave up big money in engineering in the automotive industry because I love archery and I love making, helping people make, make their shot better, make, make, enjoy the sport. And, you know, all the things that we do the whole year of preparation boils down to 10 seconds. And if you've been doing it a while, there's a mulligan you would love to 
to take back um, a time or two. Well, so that that's what empowers us. And, and the, the stuff that's come out of this that I had no idea what we were building has been just unbelievable. The emails that I get that my, their target panic is melted. The guy with the fuzzy pins is vision troubles. Um, it's just been it's not the cure-all. It's not the product for every single archer out there, but it's 10 times cooler than I ever thought it would be. And uh, we're growing really, really fast, faster sometimes than I can hold on. But uh, it's been pretty incredible. There's been these, you know, kind of ranging sites, not necessarily electronic ones in the past, but there's been things out there that have attempted to allow archers to range in the field. I guess what makes the this V design different, you know, and how did the military use it? What did they use to range, uh, you know, was, were they trying to range tanks or like, you know, what kind of, what are, what exactly. kind of makes us different? Exactly. Right. So that was the military's, uh, version and they actually used it right up until desert storm where computers took over at that moment, 1992, I think. But anyways, the, they, they picked a certain shape and many, you know, I'm not a rifle guy, but now digging deeper, there's been all kinds of stadiometric ranging. Snipers know how big the door frame is. So if a guy's standing at the door frame, he can calculate and, and click his sight. So the military with this piece picked an average size vehicle. And wherever that vehicle fits in the V, the elevation of the weapon is set. And it's, it's really an anti-tank weapon is what we've seen the most of using this. But in my experience in archery, um, first of all, there's archery and bow hunting, which is our hardest message to really get out there. But there's been a lot of belly and back ranging stuff. And I don't want to pick on their products. They were awesome products. And we sold them in our stores. I've used them myself. But let's just take one species that we know very well, the white-tailed deer. A young deer, a yearling, is very thin. And I relate this to humans. When we do this in, in a in a in a public venue, there's always somebody a little heavier set than I, so I go stand next to them. But a younger species of white-tailed deer, the belly to back is a whole lot narrower than, say, a four-year-old mature white-tailed buck. The girth, the belly and back dimension changes dramatically, unlike the width of the animal. If you and I stand side by side and I line up your shoulder with your last rib, it's it's less than 10% difference on almost everybody you'll run into on that dimension. But we get thicker as we get older. All species do. Well, in studying all these animals in Yellowstone, I couldn't believe. I thought we would have an elk insert and an antelope insert and a mule deer insert. And I was lucky enough to have this laboratory at my fingertips. I studied cats, sheep, goat, bears, two species of bears, two species of deer, um, antelope, and then we got into the big ones, of course, the elk and the moose. But all the others were less than 10% variance on their width, whether they were a young or old, uh, um, what I want to say, a young or old of the same species, an old goat and a young goat. So they get thicker and they age. And, of course, a moose is seven feet tall. But the actual width of the range of the rib cage was dramatically similar. So how similar? Well, it's not pinpoint. We're not trying to shoot X's as bow hunters. Um, I'm the last guy you want to say good enough to when it comes to bow hunting. But when you take um, a young deer in the whitetail world, let's just stay with that, a young buck and, a, and, a young, and an old buck, the shot placement difference on the V for how wide their rib cage is going to vary doesn't move the arrow 
a, a half to three quarters of an inch high or low. So I know some great archers. I'm pretty good myself, archery. And I have heard a hundred stories every year. They completely miss deer all the time. So the real question is, and we're sticking our chest out. It's a big, big, bold statement. I'm calling this the world's first bow hunting site for a lot of durability reasons also. But archery, standing in your backyard at 40 yards, pounding them into a playing card is exercise, and it verifies that your bow's dialed in. But that same guy, again, will miss a whitetail by two feet when he steps out in the tree stand. So there's a tremendous difference when you start getting into unknown distances and a few seconds on the clock and, and things that the bow hunting situation takes in. But on the belly and back dimensions, again, let's say it was perfect for every species. As bow hunters, a whole lot of us go up in a tree stand in the fall. As soon as you take that horizontal measurement and you go up into a tree stand or you're shooting up or downhill in a mountain like like you're doing in Salt Lake City over there and I'm doing up here in Montana, we get elevated shots. Well, you just cut that measurement almost in half again. So on flat ground, I found the belly and back to be about 30% full of error on apples to apples of one species. You elevate it, you're, you're beyond 50% error already. So that's why the V and the width, the horizontal width, is so much more of a constant. Interesting. So then <clears throat> what about if the animal is, you know, quartering or two or away? And, and this is a great, great question. That's our second question, usually, the quartering away. And originally, my answer has changed. But originally, when we brought this out, I want guys to really get this. This is so cool when Mr. Big steps out and you can draw a frame and kill him ethically, but it's not just for that. With the tick marks molded mathematically on the site, it is still a pin site. So 100%, you can do everything that you've always done, but you can even do it better having been able to see what you're trying to hit. The, the mind can center, everybody listening, open your fingers up in a V and just center I don't know, somebody's head in the room or pick a clock. You, you don't even have to think about centering it in the V. Your mind will do that on autopilot and the target panic melts away. And then go ahead and cover it with your thumb and you'll see already your heart palpitates. There's such a difference in, in the way that that aims. But quartering away, you could always shoot it like a pin, like you've always done. You can range it and shoot this thing as a pin sight. But what we've been fascinating to learn and we've now – coined some different phrases about the ball of the vitals and i know the rib cage isn't ball shaped but the lungs kind of are an oval i've got a couple of videos out there wherever that ball is whether you're shooting down into a tree stand whether you're shooting on an angle one of the most crucial things i teach in bow hunter <coughs> excuse me bow hunter education is to shoot for that opposite lung your entry point has to change depending on that angle, so that you get that other lung. As bow hunters, you have to have some x-ray vision in your arsenal to know where that arrow is going to exit. It, it, you, you can't put it in the same place all the time, depending on the, the angle of the animal. So back to the ball of the vitals, say it's like a basketball, just framing that ball from any angle, the easy V on the horizontal width of it, We'll put the arrow in the center of the ball, which is the center 
it'll it'll punch both lungs. It may not be the center of this lung or the center of that lung, but it automatically sets that arrow to include both lungs punctured during the shot. Really cool. So my answer changed. Originally, it was do what you've always done with pins. Now it's it's so simple. A little bit of practice. You got you got to practice with your gear. But um, I have had a few brains that don't have that X-ray vision. That man, they just struggle with it. Um, so cut the deer in half. The belly's low spot is the end of the rib cage. So from any angle, just just frame the front of the deer. It will be within an inch, high or low, of that dead center spot that you're hoping for without, I don't want to say without thinking about it. And this this is the, not magic. It's not a magic fix to make you an awesome bow hunter, but it takes a whole lot of the guesswork, the error. And that's the thing. I mean, again, we work so hard to get the shot. Whether you're prepared for it or not, when he steps out, your rangefinder might be in your pocket. You might forget how far that tree was. You find yourself at full draw guessing. I think it's 35 yards, and we try it. And I get an amen. I mean, who's going to pass it up? It just, I don't hear those stories very often, but we hear a whole lot of stories where, oh, man, he came out behind me where I didn't think he was going to be. I didn't range that spot. I sent one over his back, and the season's over, and that's not going to happen anymore. So the the range that I have close to my house, we don't have a lot of 3D targets, but what we do have is a lot of uh, bail targets that have – you know, kind of like a ring-based target, not like exactly like an Olympic target, but that kind of style. Uh, and so I, I eventually figured out, you know, what ring matched what the V was set to, you know, be able to handle in range. When I first started off, you know, I flipped the V side around so I couldn't see the tick marks at all, so I wasn't, you know, kind of tempted to use them because I knew the ranges at that's, all the targets. That's Troy's advice talking right there, I know. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> that's daring. Well, because well, otherwise I wouldn't know, you know, if I was just, you know, subconsciously using those tick marks or if I was actually using the site as intended to see if that, you know, how well that was actually working with my brain. And originally I was, I was not as accurate as my pin site when I knew the range, but I was able to take shots that I wouldn't have even attempted to take not knowing the range with pins, if that makes any sense. Like I, I would be able to just walk up to target, you know, 55 yards and, and frame it up and fling an arrow where if I were to walk up to a target and not know the range with a pin sight, I'd be really nervous to send that arrow. Cause if you're off by 10 yards, I mean, that's, that's a huge difference. Um, so if I knew the range and I'll shoot with pins, my accuracy would have been better for the first few times. And then kind of, as I've continued to use the site, it has improved more and more. Um, I've been able to tighten those groups up. I think just kind of getting used to that new site because it is a little bit a new concept. It's totally new. And I built it, and I knew the math was right, and I honestly still put a few in my privacy fence as I was learning this thing in the middle of the winter. I mean, it's a trust factor, and that's – it's archery is 90% metal, mental. There's no getting around that. So now – I've rewritten my my sight and directions. I think I'm in my fifth version there. Getting the feedback back from guys for thousands of sites now. So it's, it's there's a little mental reprogramming, and it's so much of just clean what you know and don't worry about what you're thinking. And that's gutsy to go right to it, but I've had a few that that's the way they want to do it, especially if you got target panic. You don't want the marks whatsoever. But what's so fascinating is – once you start learning the V, everything takes time. you got to practice with your bow, but finding that circle and uh, 
learning where it goes, it's all, it turns into such a, an accurate instinctiveness. Now, again, archery and bow hunting, a single pin dialed in for 37.37 yards is the most accurate sight that there is. There's no getting around that. I used to hunt like that, but I could rarely range it, dial it, draw my bow. Oh, now he moved again. So let down, range it again, or just guess your holdover. So that's the difference. Now, I love hitting X-rings, but I love punching tags, and I want to do it well. So the goal to this was to put them in a fist group. And and a lot of our posts, we call it a 10-ring or whatever, but accuracy, apples to oranges, archery to bow hunting, if every one of your arrows was in the size of a fist group in the middle of his chest, no one's going to send you hate mail that, man, it looked like you were about three-quarters of an inch high of that hair that I probably would have, you know. that. But with that dial sight or a fixed pin, to be able to shoot that unknown yardage like that and get it that close is a game changer. And that's exactly our message, why bow hunting and archery are very different sports. Um, you can hit tic-tacs, but it's not what it was designed to do. Walk up to the bale, frame and shoot, seconds count, you're going to do a good job. And I think better than you could with pins. So for some of those listeners out there wondering how, say you don't have um, a 3D target or you don't have the you know, Olympic style target like Garrett was talking about, how would your average run-of-the-mill hunter who's got a block or got a bag target at home, how would they go about sighting this in based off of that thoracic cavity span that you're talking about framing in that V, the chest cavity ball that you refer to? Perfect question. And honestly, I almost missed that one because when we were first packaging it, I've got a yard full of 3Ds because I'm an archery nerd and I had an archery shop. So I had a couple of camera guys over filming our first commercial, and he asked me that question. What? I don't have a 3D target. How do I do? I went, oh, my God. So we printed a paper target comes with every site, and it's got – it's about 16 inches without giving out my secret decimal recipe, but it's got a, a big circle with a little circle in the middle and two little notches on either side where when you're sighting in through the instructions, you just put the top two tick marks at 9 and 3 o'clock of the circle – touch it off, make your adjustments, same tick marks, and then you can get to where you can just walk around the yard shooting at that paper target, just framing that ball. It's a big, dark ball printed right on And we sell them extra. You can buy their super cheap paper targets. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I actually didn't even use that paper. Because Troy had included that piece of paper, that target, when he sent the site over to me. But I basically, you know, since you have the pins or the tick marks there, I just went up to the 10 yard target and, you know, just started shooting it. And if it was, you know, whatever direction, I would just move the whole housing until it was just about on. Then I'd back up to 20 and then I kind of dialed it in at 20, just kind of centering the, the spot between those 20 yard tick marks. And then once I felt like I was pretty close there, then I just walked right out to 60 and fired an arrow and it was, you know, pretty much right on. So I mean, <laughs> from, from that perspective, it was, it was kind of nice because it was like the simplicity of printing off a target tape for like a slider site. But now I, exactly had all, I had all those individual pins, which I prefer. With the pin side, I prefer multiple pins rather than having to move a site. You bet. You bet. Every instance a little different, but, I mean, it's just math. So so back up a second. Why the easy V? Well, setting pins sucks. I mean, I spend hours getting those pins just right. Where It's a math equation. My computer knows exactly what it's supposed to be. So I've taken that pain out. Like you said, 
um, my directions are just a little bit different, but we've been we've been moving our windage left and right in a gang adjustment for years. We're just doing it both ways, and that almost throws guys, but I've done all the hard math for you, so it should be 10 or 15 minutes to sight the whole thing in just gang adjusted. Um, pins are, like I said, it's a guess factor. There's a couple companies out there that have geared it, which is really cool, but it, it's a math equation. And fragile pins and fiber optics, little tiny screws, you know, a little bit of common sense. I built the EZV. One big Allen wrench runs the whole site. For, for us older guys, we don't need reading glasses. You're not going to drop little wrenches in the grass in the backyard. I tried to make it as simple and as strong. It's not fancy. Fancy means fragile, and fragile is not for a bow hunting environment. So really, every part of this design it, it doesn't have bells, whistles, lasers, and gadgets. It's a hammer, and you can drag. The, in fact, I just did another video that you guys haven't seen yet. I shot my elk target 33-ish yards in my yard on video, one arrow. I take the sight off. I throw it in a cement mixer with big rocks, plums, golf ball-sized rocks with a clock, and I run it in there for an hour. I take it out. It's shiny. Took all the paint off. I bolt it right back onto the bow and I kill the elk. That's bow hunting gear, and no one's ever built anything like that, and that's what I wanted to sell in my store. Definitely appealing from from that standpoint. When you were talking about, you know, kind of the tick marks and the math and the speed, you know, what kind of speed increments is the are the tick marks available in, and what's the best way for a guy to figure <laughs> out, you know, what size site that he needs? Game-changing question. So this is the EZV, and it really hasn't been easy to order for because, again, I'm a math nerd and a bow geek, and um, I didn't want guys to have to buy inserts that they were never going to use. If you're a speed bow guy, you don't ever need a 240 feet per second insert. So we used to package them in three speed categories, slow bows, medium bows, and speed bows. And sales have been good, but... Guys, I guess, you know, they're not bow nerds like myself. They got other things to do in their lives, and that's cool. But they get all excited. They go on a website, and then they don't know what speed their bow is actually doing. Or they're ordering it from the IBO rated number, which we all know isn't what it's actually doing. So here just three weeks ago, we changed everything, altered the package just a little bit. All of our sites now come with a full range of inserts. You're going to throw a couple in the garbage, but... They all have 240, 250, 260, 270, 280, 290, 300, 310, and 320 in the box. So black or camo, super easy. Now, in the directions, it goes through this, but take the chart out of the box. All the math is there before you take your old sight off your bow. You can literally lay your pins. You don't need to go down to the shop and chase chronographs all over the state like guys call me. You lay your old pins right on my chart and line up your pins with the dots on the chart you'll find one that's a mathematical match. Boom, number seven. Snap that one in. I like you to measure where your old sight is off a knocked arrow and then take your old sight off, put my sight on, measure back so you're putting my sight right where your old sight was and it's dialed in. First arrow's in the paper plate at 20 yards. You may make one or two tiny adjustments, but if you follow my directions, 10 minutes, you're in the middle of the plate. But we should back up one second when we're talking about that circle. A lot of guys like to shoot paper plates, but I get a, some flack for guys that have never touched it that 
it's just a site that gets you close enough. Well, the very center of a real big circle is the same as the very center of a little tiny circle. So whether you're a spot shooter, a dot shooter, I like if you don't have that paper target, you can cut a 16-inch circle out of cardboard that's the color of a deer and just shoot that circle as a target. You're, you're referencing the edges. You'll shoot the dead center of that big circle. What's the difference? It's in the center of the circle of the circle. Doesn't matter how big the circle is you're aiming at. Make sense? Yeah. So I, I do have a question. Um, when you were talking about using your old sight pins for reference to which V you're going to need, say somebody comes from a site that has a longer bar, like a Hogfather or a Fast Eddie XL, you know, something that's got a long bar. Is that going to have any effect on the pin distance and how it, it matches up to your? It will. Not um, more than one insert off, though. Not a, not a tremendous deal. In fact, again, when I was building this, I thought having a slider mount like that was going to be mandatory because I'm gauging the width. So a guy with a 30-inch draw length is going to be much different than a 26-inch draw length. So I thought when you set it up, you would have to calibrate the sight so everybody's shooting 28 inches, if you will. So I studied a whole bunch of shooters, blind tests to give me their dimensions from 26 to we went to like 29 and a half. Everybody gave me the exact same data. So it didn't change it enough to even worry about. Um, this is archery. It's not aerospace. But I have had a few guys at 31 and a half inch draw telling me that they're framing like 12 inches instead of 16 inches. So what's super cool, once you go through the steps, you cite this in for your perception. Look at there's only two rules to master all of archery. Step one is shoot a bullseye. Step two is repeat step one. If you can do that, that's that's all of archery. So whatever it is that you, however you feel, might be different than what I'm trying to force on you, but however you feel that V should look on the animal, wherever you feel the ball is, that's what you sight in for, a little bit of a different adjustments. And then when, when you need it and instinct takes over, it's frame frame and kill it, it just goes done so back to your question in the directions if you're even remotely close and the middle size comes mounted in the site within five or six arrows you shoot a couple at 20 and a couple at 30 those two depending on what they're doing it'll tell you joggle to a fast one joggle to a slow one and it within 20 arrows you're you're in the right insert if we have no idea is the other question. Brand new bow, went and picked it up, I have no idea. Then you may have to go through some inserts or there's there's some calculators on different websites that will give you an approximate speed so you know which one to start at. But hopefully if you're buying a brand new bow from the shop, you can go ahead and run one through the chronograph before you leave so you do have an idea. But um, working off that old site, if you have a single pin, there's different instructions in that same video that we refer to in the site and directions, how to measure that. We were just measuring the 20 to the 50-yard gap. Whatever that is, is a constant. One of my inserts lines up computer-generated. So with the computer-generated speeds, I mean, I guess it's, it's probably based on like an average, you know, arrow yeah. speed and trajectory and, and loss and whatnot. So if a guy is shooting like, you know, three veins with like a one-degree offset versus a guy who's shooting, you know, four fletch with three-inch veins and an extreme helical – 
is that going to affect how everything works at the the longer ranges? It does, and what a perfect question. I'm so glad you brought that up. So all those algorithms, all those anyone, anyone that ever used a single pin with a sight tape, you'll know their speed rating isn't always exact because of that that it's the resistance. it's it's the ballistic coefficient, the the drag, the slowdown of the arrow that changes that. The launch speed is the launch speed. And the computer knows if it's here at 20 and there at 30, it knows where it's going to be at 40. But if there's more resistance, so the algorithm that we used was the common arrow, a 5 carbon arrow with a blazer vein with a one-degree offset. That's the over-the-counter arrow. Myself, because I like to screw around with stuff, I shoot a 3-inch vein with a pretty steep helical. So I actually, my bow launches at 290. I'm actually shooting a 285 insert, one step slower, which is dead nuts at 20, dead nuts at 30, but mine starts to slow down a little more accelerated when you get to 50, 60 and out there. Um, Great, great question. So it does. Okay, that's good to know. So it's just simply you just fine-tune what insert you need so that it matches what your arrows are doing. You bet. For most everybody, I mean, again, the guys on the other side of the Mississippi, they don't even hardly shoot past 40. They could shoot really three different inserts and not notice the difference. I mean, here's one more change, how I got all these inserts in the box, which is a really cool story, and I'm a bow nerd. I'll bore you with, but I'm a bow nerd. So I made every insert every five feet a second originally, which gave us 14 sizes each from a 270 to a 275 was like four thousandths of an inch difference. That doesn't change. Yeah, I <laughs> see your reaction. That doesn't change your impact like a quarter inch on a 20-yard bale, okay? Most guys, honestly, I'm just I'm telling the truth here, and some guys don't like it, but most guys can't shoot three arrows through a chronograph and get the same number, much less a quarter inch difference on a bale. So what I did is I deleted all the fives. So now the inserts, there is no 255, no 265, no 275. We just went every 10. If you're a bow nerd and you can't sleep at night like I can't, one pound of bow weight on most bows is four or five feet per second. So if you are 274 and you turn your bow limbs, not even a quarter turn, right, a quarter pound, you'll be dead nuts on it. So, you know, there's a little wiggle room in everything, but... Um, until you get beyond 50 yards, three inserts are going to put them in, in a, a grapefruit at 20 yards all the way out to 40, 45 yards. They're just that close. And again, it's archery. It's not aerospace. And I should have done that. The convenience of having the whole spread has been tremendous for, for everyone having great luck get putting it together. So obviously with the tech marks, you know, you can always – if you want to use an actual range finder and, you know, range it and use the tick marks like you would with pins, when you get on the angles, like what you got out in Montana and like we got in some bluff country here in like Western Wisconsin and Southeastern Minnesota, where you can get some pretty steep angled shots. How does that affect? I mean, I would assume that it would affect the framing somewhat if the angle is steep enough and the range is long enough. You bet. You bet. Great, great question. I did a video on this one for those that, are caffeinated enough to get through it. It's called Easy V Geeky Stuff, and that's just what it is. But archery, there's so much trigonometry into it that a lot of people just don't even want to know. Um, they just want to put it. But it's the fact. So 
I've been mountain goat hunting here in Montana in some really serious cliffy stuff. And uh, the stuff that Randy Almer and some of these guys do for mule deer hunting is what I call technical shooting. So, again, this is still a pin sight. It still does everything a pin sight will do. I never said sell your rangefinder, but I've been collecting data and writing it down now for three years. Where I hunt, which is pretty significant country comparable to any tree stand in America, Anywhere I expect, every time I sit down, I range my my radius so I know if they're in my kill circle or not, right? And then I put the rangefinder away, but I have measured everywhere I would expect an elk or a deer to show themselves with and without angle compensating on my rangefinder. You can you can turn that mode off to check the difference. And in my experience, which I move around when I'm hunting, I set up probably I don't know, 12, 15 times a day, and I range 12 or 15 spots on each setup. So we're talking thousands of shots. I have not found more than a 10% difference with and without angle compensating. So this gets complicated. This is the geeky stuff. But if you were to shoot a deer on flat ground, you would aim right in the crease of his shoulder. If you were shooting out of a tree stand, you have to raise your entry point up just a little bit so that you hit that opposite lung like we talked about before with the ball of the vitals. So knowing that, all my data, say I ranged a deer at 34 yards out of my tree stand and the angle compensating said to shoot it for 31 yards. It's never been more than 10%. But then I'm going to raise my entry point up, you're right back to 34 yards. See, we're doing that, and we're not even thinking about it. We went out and spent 300 bucks on a rangefinder to tell us the angles when, as a bow hunter with that x-ray vision, you have to know where to place that arrow and move it accordingly so the entrance matches the exit, and you've just really, in all my experience, now, again, if you're goat hunting or you're doing crazy mule deer hunting like we do, Dude, shoot it as pins. Um, you know, measure it. That's technical shooting that takes skill. I have had shots that are 55 yards away, and my rangefinder says shoot it for 11. That's that's totally different. All rules are off. But for 99% of everybody out there shooting deer out of tree stands and and doing what we do in the rolling hills where elk live, I found it to be no problem whatsoever. The Easy V frames the width. And therefore centers the ball from any angle and really compensates for the angle kind of all in one. So I think I've, I've done kind of the similar math runouts that you have for like tree stand stuff. Cause I think when you're up in a tree, it kind of feels like you're shooting at steeper angles than oftentimes you actually are. Most guys are hunting what four to seven yards off the ground, you know, right. 12 to 21 feet. So if you got a deer at 40 yards and you're only five yards off the ground, like that's hardly any angle when you actually do the, the trigonometry. It really isn't. It really isn't. But Bushnell said we had to buy a new rangefinder, <laughs> you know? And if you are shooting a steep angle, it means he's probably close enough where it's not going to matter anyway. There you go. But again, if it's straight down, I wouldn't take that shot. That's a whole nother discussion, but you're not going to get both lungs. If you're shooting straight down the tree, if he, I've had bears up in Canada wanting to climb my, I had a bear climb my tree, but I mean, right at the base of the tree, yeah, your rangefinder will shoot it for six, 
but you're not going to get a double lung shot. The other question that oddly enough I get is what do you do if they're four to seven yards away, which is if you've ever been to an IBO world champion shoot, they'll put a groundhog at one yard away and all these hot rods like aim low with their 20 yard pin when should have really you're, yeah, your arrow is beneath the line of your vision and you have to shoot and every bow is different. That's why it's a loaded question for starters because you have to know your bow depending on how high your peep sight is from your loop will dictate how much variance that's going to be, where that arrow is going to cross your line of vision. So my overall golden rule is go shoot your bow, learn your bow, drag your target up to two yards if that's what you, you know. But seriously, if he's at four yards, if he's in that V, he's going home with you. I mean, it's it's you're talking an inch high or low on a, on a whitetail that – honestly is is vitals or or dessert plate but technical shooting it's still a pin site you can still be a nerd like i am and do every all your nerd archery stuff i you can't it it doesn't you don't give up anything except for the breakage um but it does a lot more so you brought up bears um this is a question i had how difficult is it on bears because you can't it's kind of hard to judge exactly where the back of the rib cage might be on a bear um, because the hair is so long compared to a, a deer where you could pretty well get a real good idea is that how how much of a margin of error is there when using it for bears specifically again and if you dig up some of my old videos you'll hear me lying now that we've learned more about it is <laughs> we're all a student of this technology really but originally i was telling everybody to put the V1 on the shoulder where you hit them with a 30 out six, let's say, and one on the last rib. And on a, on a deer in October, you can see where that last rib is. On a bear, you can't. But um, different minds, again, see that differently. Some can't see the ball of the vitals. But if you do, like I was telling you, with that, that circle, that 16-inch circle piece of cardboard, it's amazing. So, again, in my old videos, I'm kind of skipping around here, but I said for small game, shoot it as a pin sight for chipmunks and we have lots of groundhogs we shoot out here you can see the groundhog instead of covering it up and your mind will center it which is totally cool but if you've shot that cardboard circle enough it don't take long you can now visually put that circle that basketball on any species whether it's a moose i've got guys that are shooting gophers with the v flipped around because they can put that much space around anything it it, it's just it's an easier judge of that size than judging the yardage so kind of back to your question there's different mental schools of that you can't see the ribs but again half the animal if you can see where his belly the low spot in his belly is if you frame half of his body you cut him in half it's within an inch high or low of dead center of that bear Bears are tough no matter what, and low light conditions and all kinds of stuff. This thing is so cool. We should talk about that real quick because bears are the last 10 minutes of the day. They're in dark canopy areas, and their their courts are black. But the cops shine a flashlight in your eyes on purpose so you can't see what they're doing. Every time you have a lit-up pin under those low light conditions, and even like Crazy Troy shooting hogs in Texas, he tried putting a light on the EZV, it blinds you. Your night vision, your pupils are focused on that really bright dot. You can't see what's on the other side of it. How many times have you done that? You draw back, 
you go to aim and now you pull away and you look at the deer again and then you put the pin back on them because that pin, your eyes just went to something bright and dilated and you lose your night vision. With the Easy V, both for vision issues, the V doesn't have to be in focus. So you can get rid of the verifiers, glass in the wood sucks anyways. That V is just there. Again, if you open your fingers in a V and you frame something in the room, you're not looking at your fingers. Your fingers don't have to be in focus. They just have to be there. It, you can paint that V black. As long as you can see the animal and that glowing chartreuse yellow that we built this out of, it'll glow an hour. And it's not chemicals or anything, but it glows in the moonlight, an hour and a half past shooting hours. You just cut that bear in half, he's coming home with you. So cool. So different. So two things that come to mind, you know, kind of with that low light discussion. One would be, you know, peepless setups. Are any guys running this peepless or is pretty much everybody use a peep site? And then the other thing was more related to target panic. But let's let's talk about the peepless setup thing first. Super, super topic. You guys have got some great notes. And all this stuff has just evolved myself. But I built the insert three-eighths of an inch deep so it was durable. And believe me, we've run them over with the high-low. I've never seen one break, cement mixer and otherwise. But what I wasn't planning on doing is that depth gives you both a torque indicator. If you're twisting your bow, you'll see the walls of the V, and guys love it peepless. Mainly back east, tree stand stuff. Troy shoots without a peep down there in Texas, stacking hogs because he's under real low light conditions always. But I've even seen a few guys take a Sharpie and color the walls of the V black. So any, <coughs> any eye misalignment, if you see black, you're not in the right spot. So it, it just absolutely works so perfect. One little hiccup with that that some find as an inconvenience, but I, I purposely put our scope on a round dowel. So during setup, it, on a dovetail site that goes straight up and down, if a guy had a real high peep sight setting, and again, I ran a shop for 20 years, I've seen all kinds of different shooters, a big-faced guy has a real high peep sight. On a dovetail sight, his scope housing will not be square to his eye. And a finger sh shooter or a guy that has come from finger shooting that anchors where we used to anchor our finger shooting will have a very low peep sight. He'll be like three inches above his knock. His dovetail sight scope will not be squared to his eye so with our insert it has to be square to our eye and i want it to be no matter if even if it was a pin so during the setup it's a it's one more thing you got to do when you're setting it up you got to square that scope to your eye but it's a tremendous plus and when you get it right you can't shoot it wrong it, it helps with that dramatically yes yeah, so i noticed when i set mine up the um the scope housing squareness, like initially I had it set and I could like a, I could tell it was off. So then I just loosened up that Allen bolt where you adjust the windage and I just twisted yeah. that sight until I could, you know, just look at it and see, okay, now it's square and then tighten it back down. And that, that helped yep. a lot. Um, so it was, it wasn't that hard and I was kind of glad you brought up the Sharpie thing. I was going to ask you about that too. Um, if anybody had yeah. done that, once you get that squareness, it seems like if you're going to run a peepless, you just got to make sure that you're not seeing, you know, essentially the sides of the V. You're not seeing the sides of the, the housing, and that's kind of your indicator that it's square. 
Exactly. Left, right, up and down. You'll see the walls of the V somehow, somewhere, and you'll know. It it works fantastic, peepless. Real quick on your Sharpie thing, because that's a real cool thing that I, I don't think I've put in many of our videos, but we ink the tick marks after the molding process. Mm-hmm. I could have molded them in there like your toothbrush has got seven different colors. Yep. But I, I wanted it to be a custom thing. So there again, guys in Ohio, don't shoot past 40 yards. You can take a little alcohol and you can wipe off the rest of the tick marks and just leave 20, 30, 40. And that cleans up the sight picture dramatically. Or I've got tons of guys that can't see red, their color blindness or what. Are you really? So yep. it's a tricky blood trailing situation. But I get those emails all that they love this thing because they, they wipe them all off and they make them blue and black and green and you can customize the colors my tick marks so they're molded triangles right in there mine are just the very tips are dotted with black and i just like black but i like them really really fine so a real cool principle we should go over the v will get you within five percent of the distance so this is built for as we're bugling in elk and they're crashing through the trees they're about to step out you need to be at full draw if you're rattling in a whitetail and he's coming, you need to be at full draw. If he's out there grazing at 62 yards and you're comfortable taking that kind of a shot, that's not a shot that you rush. So my experience is if he's 50 or in, use the V and kill him. If he's 50 yards or out, okay, so 5% at 40 yards is plus or minus 2 yards. That's a 10 ring. Dan McCarthy judges yardage maybe that good. World champion. Most of us don't. If he's beyond 50 yards, and we do that out here in the West, some guys in, in back east don't understand that, but, you know, that elk I killed at 60, I wasn't going to rush that shot. That's a shot you take your time. But then I range it and I shoot it for pins. So back to the tick marks, my tick marks are actually ground right off. I took a Dremel. I wiped them off, and now I even ground them off out to 50. So my tick marks start 50, 60, 70, and 80. So I'm using the V for the 50 and under, and then I'm using the I'm shooting it as a pin sight from 50 and beyond. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I was gonna say too that it seems to make sense to use it more as a pin sight. At least this is kind of how I was thinking about it. Because uh, when you get at the top of the V, there's a huge difference between 20, 30, 40 in terms of how wide that V is. But once you get down mm-hmm. to like 50, 60, 70, there's not as much. Uh, with change really there hard. so it's, it's harder yeah. for guys to you know maybe frame that 16 inch circle between like six Definitely. is it 60 or is it six, uh, 65 is it 70 it's harder to tell much harder to tell and much more crucial to be right out at those those aren't i don't advocate some shots i get i get all kinds of questions well can i shoot 100 because i'm in arizona we're on the desert and you know i can go into another discussion about how long it takes for that arrow to get out there and what could happen but um you know, it's a bow hunting site. We have, I should say, we have crushed some some competitive records on the 3D circuits out there. I, I couldn't be more proud. There, it'll do anything you've ever done with a pin site. Um, and one guy today on one of my forums, he's like, well, what are you going to do when the IBO and ASA outlaw it? I said, I'm going to dance all night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> That, that, that couldn't be a better compliment. So, But in the meantime, all the bow hunter classes are allowing it as long as you only have five tick marks. A bow hunter class, you're allowed five pins. Mm-hmm. So wipe off the tick marks that you're, you don't need. 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever it is, and they'll allow it for now. But they're getting wind that this is a deadly combination, and uh, there may be an advantage because uh, we had one guy down in New Mexico, youth NFAA bowhunter division, the record was 540. I'm sorry. The record was 480 out of a 560 perfect score. He shot a 540, destroyed the state record. And all the judges got in a huddle. Oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with this alien sight? What's going on here? And they allowed it. Now, I couldn't be more happy. 17-year-old kid, we didn't want to crush him. But he, had, he just tore it up. Dominic Durkin down in New Mexico. Very cool. I want to talk about target panic too and so i guess my my kind of experience with this is you know growing up and using pin sights i always kind of knew that i preferred shooting at 3d targets versus shooting at like a spot say at like 20 yards because when i'm not shooting at a 3d target i could just let that pin float in the vitals where i wanted it to float and then you, you know when i was shooting at a, a target i didn't realize it was target panic at the time but i would always you know, kind of let that pin just kind of float a couple inches below the spot so I could see where the spot was, right? And then when I was ready to, to shoot, I would just kind of slowly pull it up and, and release the arrow, which obviously I know now is wrong. And, you know, I've kind of combated that over time by using things like, you know, various back tension and releases and stuff like that. So the shot's kind of a surprise and it's going off as I'm hovering or floating right on top of the dot and that dot is covered up. But I mean, if we're being honest, like most guys aren't necessarily willing to go through all the work to necessarily limit, eliminate target panic, even if it isn't, you know, a major accuracy issue. You, you bet. Target panic. And, and as a coach, I have coached many people that have had it super serious. Like they can't even put the bail knee over the target. I've had it fairly bad a couple of times. Um, one of my favorite guys in the world, Benny, uh, Bernie Pellery, is the NFAA certified coach. And I've had him out to do seminars at our store. And I just want to throw this in because target panic is like erectile dysfunction. I swear to God, nobody wants to admit it. It's like, oh, no, not me. It's it's just it's bizarre. Right. So I, I, I truly believe every single guy out there has some some guys have it much more than others. And one thing that he pointed out to make everybody comfortable to admit it and, and start working on it, the smarter the, you are the more likely you're going to get it because your mind in today's society, we never leave our cell phones behind. We have busy schedules. I got to be to work. I got to get this paper for my boss. I got to be, I got to pick up the kids from soccer practice. We are always one step ahead, which is the absolute worst thing in the world you could ever do for archery is try to anticipate what's going to happen next, right? That's where magic finger goes right now and slams a trigger when you're not where you're supposed to. So frustrating. It robs the pleasure of archery. If you've been doing it a while, if you if you started like I did with a recurve bow and a paper plate and a hay bale, man, it was mental therapy and it still is for me. But it, it robs. So it, it's so frustrating. You go, why? You scream at your finger. Why did you just punch that when you know you weren't there? And so I have a tremendous experience with this. A lot of guys will cite, and this will help with any site you're shooting, but a lot of guys have sighted in so that their pin is just underneath the 10 ring. So the movement, it's the movement that builds anxiety because you can see it's left, it's right, it's high, it's low. Now it's left again. Now move it to the right. Now you're a little bit low. Now lift it back up. And this argument stirs in your brain is what makes you so frustrated and you punch a trigger. So sighting in your pin 
so it's at six o'clock in the 10 ring the movement isn't where your eyes are at your eyes are on the 12 ring and the pin is still moving everybody's bow moves but that movement doesn't rob your mental focus so i should have known this the v the movement is on both sides of it but your eyes are in the middle on the 10 ring so it dramatically melts target panic and anxiety i mean i've had again tons is this is this a surprise and i'm embarrassed that it was a surprise because i should have known better um scope shooters for years have been putting circles on their glass lenses for shooting spots because they can see the x and the movement isn't perceived therefore the anxiety doesn't build so i'm embarrassed that i should i should have known that this was going to be a function of it but the emails i have gotten that i have guys <clears throat> never shot the tick marks i mean they flip it they chrono their bow they know which insert they flip it day one and they shoot that blind open v and it saves their archery I, I never thought there was a product that you could buy i'm not saying it's a it's a it's a cure-all but the experience we have found guys dramatically love it and and i understand why um will, will it cure everybody you just got to try it it's so hard to explain it's like explaining what a banana split tastes like you just got to stick a fork in it and give it a try to be honest i was a skeptic for the longest time everybody uh, was <laughs> you know i you guys were at the ata show in 2016 that was our was first. first year we i was actually just a couple booths down from you guys that year and i was amazed at the number of people that stopped by your guys's booth um, and just the number of visitors that went by there. So obviously I had to just stick my head in and look. And, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, this has got to be a joke. And then, you know, listening to you talk and listening to the science behind it, you know, and understanding more of it, it, it makes sense. The science is there for it to make sense. You know, it's not, like you said, it's, it's you call it the, uh, the ultimate bow hunting site because it's, you know, kind of what it is, is it's more designed specifically for, you know, bow hunting and shooting in the rib cage basically compared to shooting spots at 90 yards you bet you bet so it it's been really interesting to hear this but the one question i have is based off of this being the ultimate bow hunting site is it safe to say that the with the assumption of you're shooting strictly for double lungs with every shot because of the anatomy of an animal with the heart being located slightly forward and slightly low of center line you bet so that's a great question here in the west and where you're at um i have always sighted in my bow on all my pins because we shoot we shoot mule deer at 60 yards and they're out there and they're small when they're 60 yards so i have always sighted in my bow so i'm aiming at center mass but my arrow falls in two inches lower than that so shooting bullseyes, I'm always two inches low of the X, two inches low of the X. Because of that, I like to get – I'm trying to shoot double lungs, but I really like to catch the top of the heart if I can. So that's a customized thing that you guys can do with any – you sight in your bow to your preference. But I do the exact same thing on my EZV. I'm sighting in on the 9 and 3 o'clock edges of the ball of the vital, yet my arrows drop in about an inch, inch and a half low of that center line to catch that top of the heart and especially on a jumpy whitetail that likes to 
maybe duck the air or whatever. That you know, you always kind of try to aim a little bit low on a whitetail, anyways. But um, if that answers your question, but the, yeah, the ATA show. I, I just want to touch on that real quick because I, I was so nervous to show the world. I'm not kidding you, dude. I almost threw up right before the show. In fact, I didn't even sleep. I will tell you, I was in the gym all night long the night before. This is different, right? And if I, you know, paid a million dollars to Michael Waddell or some celebrity to gurgle some speech that I wrote for him to tell, it would be an overnight success. This is something new, but I had piles of guys going, man, it makes sense, but it sounds too good to be true. Well, it's just math. And you've been doing almost everything that I'm doing, you've already been doing, from sight tapes, trusting the math, to how do you shoot 25 yards with pins? You have a 20-yard pin and a 30-yard pin. You aim right in between the pins. How do you do that? Because your brain is the supercomputer. You know where 27 yards is, 28 yards is, 29. Everyone's like, how can you be accurate just gauging where the middle of it is? You've been doing that for years and years with pins. With your pins, you're only sighted in for 10% of the possibilities that could happen. A 20, a 30, a 40, a 50, go on and on. Not 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, where the V has you covered. It it has a 21, 22, 23, 27, 28, but we're doing the same thing, just like you put, if you're shooting 25 yards, you're not really looking where your 20-yard pin is and where your 30-yard pin is, you're looking at the space in between them and calculating, is that 26, is that 27, right? It's like common practice. We've been doing it for years, yet they kind of looked at me like a moron. So the dealers came up, I'm not kidding you, the dealers came up to the booth, and they're like, what? There's no way. There's this is this is There's no way this has got to be. But in the very back, which was the most humbling, honestly, of my life, I've been, I owned a store for 20 years. In the very back of the crowd by day two was Randy Walk. If you guys know who Randy is, he is the archineer president of Hoyt. So by Friday, when Friday's show was over, there was somebody went and told him, Randy, you got to get your ass over to this hillbilly in the corner. He's got <laughs> something to show you. So I see him in the very back of the crowd, I got like 30 people or they, they were going to move us because we were blocking the fire exit with the crowd. But Randy's out there listening and I'm just telling the story. And all of a sudden you see his eyes go, holy beep. Right. And I went and then I point at him like, you got it. And he wandered away. He went back to the old way side of the other show. About 20 minutes later, I looked, there's another familiar face. It's Greg Easton of Easton arrows. Now these guys, in their ironed shirts are engineers, degreed engine. You know, these are math geeks like myself. And he's standing back there. And the same thing about 10 minutes into me explaining it, his eyes get like hockey pucks. And he goes, Holy, I said, you got it, Greg. And then one after another, all weekend, the president of true glow, the president of this company, the engineering staff for this company, all these iron shirt guys were in the back row. I was, I had goosebumps, but yet my dealers, in the front that are supposed to be writing orders are going, but where's the pen? How can you shoot a bow without a pen? <laughs> I mean, frustrating, frustrating. A pen has one reference point. My V has two. It's that accurate. So, again, the mission was to put arrows in a group the size of your fist in the center of his chest every time, and it does that. 
But because of all the things we've talked about, the target panic dissolving, I have stacks of guys sending in pictures of their first Robin Hood ever of their lives because their mind isn't arguing because that target pan, because you can see what you're trying to hit. You can see your arrow hit the target, which was a no-no in past. If you were shooting a pin sight and you looked for your arrow, that meant you were dropping your bow and that arrow is going to go low. Well, now it's an open view. So that's why we fell in love with archery in the first place. Nobody likes to shoot a bow. Shooting a bow kind of sucks. What we like to do is hit stuff with arrows. That's the fun part. Well, now you can see that arrow where it goes. Watch that if you're shooting a lit up knock. You can watch where that shot placement enters that animal. You can see all the bushes and sticks and stuff that you may not see that's covered in a, a Venetian blind stack of pins. You can see that whole path of the arrow. So there's there's a dozen benefits to this that honestly, swear to God, was not the goal of it, but it, it's been a roller coaster ride, and and we're learning. We're all learning. It's exciting. So do you have any any plans to you know make any changes to the site at all? You know, or you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I got some stuff up my sleeve. You know, again. The one, the one thing that I really look forward to doing, um, everybody, you know, and I love everybody's input. If anyone has anything to say, please email me, Aaron at EZVSite.com. Um, I've, I've heard all kinds of suggestions. I would really like to thin out the V. I went for durability. Um, I've had a lot of guys take a, a Dremel and thin out the walls, and I've still never seen one break, but... Um, you know, we started this on a 3D printer, and that's as thin as you can 3D print without the thing falling over. So it worked great, and we molded it. Well, it's like a $40,000 mold to mold these. So I'm saving my nickels. I don't know that it'll be next year. We got some other projects I'm working on, but I'd really like to thin out the walls of the V. They could be half that size and still be a 500 times stronger than a pin. Incidentally, I've hung 300 pounds of weight on these inserts. Show me a pin where you can hang 300 pounds on it. Never going to happen. But um, the main focus, a lot of the bow nerds like myself want a, a micro-adjustable model. They want one on a slider to shoot 100 yards. So I have Easy, Easy V Pro designed. But in all honesty, and it's not a big thing in here in Montana, the crossbow, Easy V X, is almost done. We're working on that prototype. The crossbows have, have just launched in this industry. Uh, I have dealers that tell me they sell 10 crossbows to every compound right now. That's where this industry is exploding right now. And i um, not going to knock anything. I'm not a big crossbow guy. I'm shooting them a lot to learn them and, and trying to build something that works on all the guns. But a crossbow is not a user-friendly weapon for those that have one. They're big and clumsy, and then you throw a rangefinder into the mix. I don't care how fast you are, even at 400 feet a second, you still got to have a rangefinder and know your distance. But to put this V on there, I'm telling you what, what a deadly weapon. It's already at full draw, just frame and kill. Yeah, it's a game changer. So we're really excited to get Easy VX out, hopefully spring of 2019. We'll see. I do like the idea of making the V a little bit thinner because, like you said, it's yeah. not like it's not like it needs to be brighter than it is, you know, because um, you yep. can still see it in low light, and you just get that much more of a sight picture with the thinner V. Yep. And honestly, you guys dig up some old stuff. You'll see when 
I, I should have known better. So much, uh, bringing a product to market. I mean, I've been in the archery industry for 20 years, and now I look back at some of my mistakes, and I can't believe what I did. But um, when we came out, we had red inserts, lime green inserts, fluorescent yellow inserts, and then, of course, pink for the girls. you got to keep the girls happy. And that is just too many SKUs for dealers to stock and too confusing. But um, we may go back and revisit that as, as a custom color kit that you can add on later, but um, I should have known better. The stores did not want to see 16 different sites to stock with all these different color options. So live and learn. I, I found that for me, it was pretty easy to, you know, get it zeroed in with just the gang adjust with the Allen screw. Uh, but one thing yeah. I was thinking for like a micro adjust, it would just build in that much more security. Like if the Allen screw did happen to come loose for whatever reason, it's not going to just slide a quarter inch on you. You bet. You bet. Some some micro adjusts, I mean, I sold probably 20% of that stuff in the store. And to be honest, as much as a bow nerd as I am, if I had made the $300 model first, I'd probably still have the first dozen in the store here. That, that percentage of the, you know what I mean? That percentage of the market, I get it, guys, but we got to get off the ground. So honestly... I don't shoot a whisker biscuit, but a lot of guys say this is the whisker biscuit of sites, and I couldn't be happier because that's 85% of the market. We're all weekend warriors as we get families going. Our hunting time shrinks. We got a couple of weekends to go out there and get it done, and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to build a hammer that the majority of the market wants. But back to your question, We've had third access from the start that guys didn't even realize. That's another conversation. There's bow nerd stuff that we can do, but um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. You know, it's it's kind of a product and demand thing, and and we'll see where it goes from there. I I will tell you, I don't know what we've shipped now for a little over four thousand sites or something. It's pretty good. I've had one screw strip out, and of course I priority mailed them a brand new site, and it was a two year old site, but. Um, you can wreck anything, but we've run over these with trucks. I think we've built a pretty good mousetrap for that record. One out of 4,000 or 4,400 or something like that is pretty good odds. And it's all manufactured in the U.S.? Right here in Belgrade, Montana, just north of Bozeman. Machined aluminum, 6061. Um, no China stuff here, man. <laughs> Sweet. I usually have a different adjective, but I'll keep it clean. <laughs> I think I touched on all the, the questions I guess I had. Are there any more kind of misconceptions or uh, qu- common questions that you get that we haven't touched on already? Man, I think you guys, you had a great hit list. It was better than mine. You know, the, the biggest, the message, like I said, I, I can't speak more and more about it is comparing that you know, standing in your yard at 30 yards, punching a playing card is archery, but whatever sight you have, this is the challenge. When you get your buddies over in the yard, put the rangefinder in your pocket. Let's play hunting. Let's really get it done here and figure out what you have and wander around your range, guess and shoot as compared to the EZV. And that is the apples to apples comparison. Um, we've had, I, I offer, I should say this, Money back guarantee. I mean, it sounds cliche. I try to write it a little different, but it's the truth. I'd love you to try it. I think you'll find something really amazing. But if it doesn't work for you, you can send it back. You got 30 days to tear it up, and I don't mind a bit. But um, of the 
again, for over 4,000 we've shipped. I, th- I think I've got back 11, and half of those were unopened. And the other four or five guys that I called didn't even follow the directions, which I've really taken a lot of time. Guys don't like to follow directions. And I tell this funny story, but my wife has a vacuum fetish. We have two golden retrievers. She buys a new vacuum every year. I have yet to read the directions. 17 years of marriage, 17 vacuums later, guys don't read the directions. I write it on every packing list. This is a mental journey as much as it is a setup geeky, you know, wrenching story. A lot of guys that are buying them are dentists and lawyers that had to go buy an Allen wrench. They're not mechanics, but follow the directions. It'll be amazing. Um, But anyhow, no, I think you guys have touched on, man, so much cool stuff. We're so excited. This is an accidental journey that just keeps getting better and better. And uh, I'm I'm so glad. Thanks so much for giving me a call, guys, and uh, good hunting this fall. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. Hopefully I'll... uh have a deer on the ground soon that I can send you a picture of. I'm committed to trying this thing out for the, the archery deer season coming up. So hopefully I that's so a good story for you. Hold your fingers open in a V for your pictures. <laughs> give, us, give us an easy V baby. All right. And if uh, people want to, I guess, find more information or get to your website or, or find where to buy it, is it all online or is it in dealers? It's online. In fact, we just launched our new website, I think, three days ago, so it's better for mobile devices. I'm kind of an old guy, so I'm figuring this stuff out, but um, easyvsite.com, Facebook. We've got buy nows all over the place, but but really, I mean, again, I'm, I was a pro shop for 20 years, and I, I so believe in the pro shop, keeping the pro shops alive, so call your local dealer. They may have it. We're in about 400 stores across the nation, which is barely 10%, but we're getting there. So, But they can call an order. If you like your pro shop guy, try to keep them in the loop. If not, we ship twice a day, priority mail, easybsite.com. There's a there's a question bar, a message bar. Um, call me anytime, 866-302-2555. Rings right to my cell. Awesome. Appreciate you having you on, Aaron. It's been a blast, guys. Good luck, good hunting, and uh, be safe out there. That'll do it for this episode. Please be sure to like and follow the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network feed wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like and follow DIY Sportsman on social media, and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Those are always appreciated. Hopefully it's a good review, but if not, please send us a message. We're always eager to hear ways that we can improve. Thanks for listening.